0: Um, For reasons that will become obvious in a moment, I'm going to dedicate this year to a very special woman, Um, her name was Gladys Rothenberg, Golda Rivka Bat Yitzchak Mordechai Cohen. Um, she was a a wonderful person, mother of a really close friend of mine, um, who happens to have been one of the reasons that we have this yeshiva, Um, he was the one who put the idea in our heads along with her moish. Um, and pushed us to do this And even helped with some of the startup funding And has been a supporter of Araita for many years And, um, and he's also a chavrusa And he came up with an idea A number of years ago And started asking different people Rabbanim, whatever, this question And uh, most of us had never really thought about this question before And it bothered him that none of us had thought about this question before So he started looking around and he couldn't find a good answer to this question. So he started doing this whole, his own research. And he came up with an idea. Um, and I remember he called me and asked me, what do you think about this idea? I said, wow, that's an amazing idea, but you've got to find some support for that. Like, how do we... And he started looking at different psukim and seeing, and he developed this idea and he wrote it up as Dvar Torah. Um, and I think it's a powerful idea, and we're going to take this. Uh, the part of this that you really like will be his, and the part of this that you're not sure about will be what I added. But um, the most amazing thing about this is that uh, sometime later, a, um, uh, a friend of his um, said, you know, this idea, you're not the first one to come up with this idea. He was so excited. There's so a sefer called the Maaseh Hashem. It's a sefer of Rebbe Lezer Ashkenazi. Rebbe Lezer Ashkenazi lived in the 1500s at the time of the Ramah and the Shulchan Aruch. And he was a tremendous god of the The Pnei Yoshua writes about him that, you know, that there are not enough words to, to speak about, you know, the godless of this person. The Shulchan Aruch wrote him questions, the Ramah wrote him questions, uh, the Marashal, the Yamshel Shlomo wrote him questions. Tremendous, tremendous, yeah just bring him down. Tremendous Gadol right? And, I, I, just calm down, children, okay, right? Um, tremendous Gadol And so, so he had this idea. So, so Rabbi got very excited about this and he found the safer, he started learning the Sefer. And Bimed, added some things to his idea. And then he started looking to, who is this Masay Hashem? Who is Rebbe Ashkenazi? And he found out that he's actually a descendant of Rebbe Ashkenazi. So here's this Gadol B'Torah, 500 years ago, comes up with an idea. Nobody else has this idea, right? It's a very developed idea, and it gets lost. Nobody knows about it. And his descendant, 500 years later on his own, comes up with this idea and finds out that he's resurrecting a piece of Torah that was lost, that was his ancestors. I think that's amazing. So let's talk about this, okay? Um, I want to I wanna, I wanna share with you three things, okay? First, I was, uh, I was reading an article about um, a conference that took place in Qatar. Okay? This is the, the political and financial support of Hamas. We're not big fans of Qatar these days, um, notwithstanding their attempt to broker deals for hostages. And um, they invited uh, Hamas and Asha, the PLO, uh, to a meeting that was sponsored by Russia in Qatar to try to push Israel to make a ceasefire without getting into all the details. And there's a photo there. Of these Hamasnikim and the PLO and the secular PLO and the religious Hamasnikim, and right in the middle of this group, <laughs> holding up a big Palestinian flag, is a fellow with a big black hat and a beard and a kapata. And I realize I'm looking at a Turi Kartenik. Okay? These are this is a sect of Hasidus, right? Um, it's probably today's version of the Erev Rav, okay? um, Who basically support our enemies. It, it's beyond comprehension. Beyond comprehension. How does a person do that? How did a group of Jews get to the point where they can support a, uh, you know, terrorists? Right? And there was a... Um, so that's the first question. There was a rabbi. Fascinating story. He's known as the Oracle of Krakow. It could be that they'll tell you about him when you're in Krakow, those of you who go to Poland. Um, his name is um, Uziathan. He was a um, a rabbi, a Zionist uh, intellectual.
1: um,
0: And he offered up in 1920 a chilling drusha. He was born in 1870 to a poor Orthodox family. Um, I'm going to spare you the whole story. In 1890, when he was 20, he went to Berlin. He studied philosophy and sociology. um, Wrote a doctoral dissertation. um, Very involved in Zionist activities. Um, in the late 1800s, he met Asher Ginsberg. Anybody know who Asher Ginsberg was? He's also known as... Echadam. He was one of the prolific and influential Zionist writers. And this fellow, right, um, uh, uh, Uzziah Fan, he also became a contemporary and a confidant of Theodor Herzl. In 1897, he was actually offered a, uh, an, amic- an academic position at Berlin University, he turned it down. And in 1897, um, at the age of 27, he was appointed the rabbi of the Temple Synagogue in Krakow, which is a position that he held until his death in 1936. Now, what makes this rub so fascinating? Okay? Um, the Temple Synagogue membership was drawn much more from the more assimilated members of the Krakow Jewish community. Okay? And... Um, he was a perfect candidate for rabbi. Before he became the rabbi, and I hear this well, before he became the rabbi, before accepting the position, he told the board, and I quote, they could tell him what to wear, they could tell him how long his sermon should be, however, they could not tell him, right, what to say on current issues. Okay? He, he felt that how he responds to current events is his own business. And if they would accept that he would become the rabbi, and they did, in, in, in after World War I you know we don't really understand the disaster that World War I inflicted on the Jewish community hundreds of thousands of Jews were murdered mm-hmm. uh, tens of thousands of children were made orphans and the anti-Semitism that had exploded in the time of Dreyfus that had created the Zionist uh, idea uh, was on fire all over Europe He said, this is going nowhere good. And he gave a sermon. um, Many sermons. (coughs) Telling people they should go back to Israel. It was time to go to Palestine. It was time to get out of Europe. He made an enemy of um, the Bund, which was a nationalist... uh, Oh, Oh, you can put it here. A nationalist, thank you, very nicely. Of the nationalist uh, socialist uh, who believed that, you know... Um, we are Poles with a Jewish cultural tradition, our home is Poland, and that type of deal. And he gave a sermon in the year 1920, and he told his congregation I'm leaving and I'm going to Eretz Israel and you should come with me. 10 families listened to him and went with him, the rest didn't. Listen to one paragraph from this sermon, and you can look this up online. In describing to them why he felt that we should be going back to Palestine, he says the following. And listen to this, guys. And war will once again come to the world, greater than the first, in other words, the First World War, and more terrible than the first. Not tomorrow and not the following day will this war happen, maybe in 18 or 20 years. And the hatred of the Jews will not be limited to Galicia or Poland alone. Rather, within each nation there will be and arise great anti-Semites. And the great nations will give birth to the greatest anti-Semites. And the hatred of Jews will spread throughout the world. This is a rabbi with a university degree and a PhD from a pulpit in Krakow, Poland in 1920. The hatred of Jews will spread throughout the world from end to end. By then you will be grandparents. And your grandchildren will be rolling in blood. They will be slaughtered and decapitated. Your granddaughters raped and disgraced. Your grandchildren will be laying on top of the mutilated corpses in thick forests full of deafening silence. This was a prediction of the Holocaust. Twenty years before it happened. If the communities would have listened to him, it wouldn't have been a Holocaust. How does a person have that wisdom? Okay? How does a person have that wisdom? All right? So I'm going to ask you a question. But before we do that, let me take a pause. So, here's a question. Cheyta <laughs> Egel. Arguably the biggest mistake the Jewish people ever made. And there's something about Cheyta Egel which is inherently illogical. It just makes no sense. I mean, this is 40 days after the Jewish people not only heard HaKadosh Baruch but somehow saw HaKadosh Baruch They saw sound. No less than Hashem Himself is telling them, know Hashem alokecha. How do you get to a ego? So that's a big question that everybody asks. And all of the first to talk about this, and you go to Shul, and chances are the rub will give a drasha, and then the Torah will talk about it. Right? Okay. But Hashem actually describes... What's at the root of this issue? It's a famous Pesach. Vayomer Hashem al Right? Moshe is still up on top of Harsinai. And Hashem says to Moshe, They're a stiff-necked people. Now, this is a unique term. This is the only place in the Torah that this term appears in this way. Right? which makes it a little difficult, but as you'll see, it's not that difficult to understand what this term means. So if you could translate what that means, what does it mean? Stubborn. They are what? Stubborn. stubborn. They're stubborn. And the met, uncle says, ama Kedalhu. They are, the kdal is the, the nape of the neck, the back of the neck, and they have a hard back of the neck. Why is that stubborn? So on one level, it could mean that the neck is sort of what allows a person to turn his head. But if the neck is stiff, you can't turn your head. You're stuck in one position. You're seeing things a certain way. So you're stubborn. You're stuck in one perspective. Right? Okay. Right? Um, Rashi says that they turn their back on those who criticize them and refuse to listen. Right? And that's what it means. Does anybody know? This would impress me. Right? Does anybody know where is the first place in the Torah That we find This concept Of 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 the Of, of an Amk'shay Oref So it actually Describes this In Parshat Am I know? Pardon? Nope It's a good guess But nope Am I know? It's in Mishpatim It's parashat It's pasuk in Mishpatim Perak uh, Bet, Pasuk Tet I think that's one of pet. And it says like this. Um, oh no, that's the puzzle I just read. One second. Um, it's in Paragraph Gimel, apologies. Paragraph Gimel, Posikraf Zijn. It says At right? He's talking about the fact that they're gonna conquer Israel. I will send my 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 fear, my trembling before you. And I will kill the entire nation that you come against. them. these Canaanites with their idolatrous, pagan, licentious, cruel, murderous practices, right? You can't build an ethical society. If you're living in the midst Of people who don't keep Sheva Mitzvah Right The seven Noah laws. And I will give All of your enemies Before you A neck What does that mean I'll give you a neck The name of the neck Means they'll turn tail and run Right So The oref is the back of the neck And it It can also represent That you're running away From something Okay so you're stubborn And you refuse to listen Alright Um But the obvious question is, if they're stubborn, why now? And this is a question I never thought of until this friend of mine, Robbie, um, sort of came up with this idea. It's a great question. What does that mean, that the root of chay ego is that they are stubborn? Why are they stubborn now? What are they being stubborn about? So what would the most obvious answer to that question be? They're being stubborn about what? They give chay ego, what are they being stubborn about? They don't... Believe in Hashem. So the issue is emuna. They don't have emuna, right? Okay, but that's very problematic. Somebody tell me what the problem is with saying that all of a sudden now, for the first time, Hashem says they're a stubborn nation. Isn't mentioned it before because they don't believe. What's the problem with that? Yeah. They just came out of the tribe and they didn't believe in God in the tribe. They didn't believe in God in Mitzrayim, but okay, they didn't experience things yet. They just had revelations. What happens at the end of Kriyosh Yamsef? yeah? They start complaining about food and water. Well, we'll get to that. No, it says, Vayaminu Bashem. Right? Vayaminu Bashem, Moshe Avdo. They did believe. The Torah says they believed. So how can you say they're being stubborn about belief? They just, how can you say this nation doesn't believe in God? That makes no sense. Makes absolutely no sense. They're standing at the foot of our if there was ever a generation and a period of time when you absolutely knew that Hashem runs the world, it was where they're at. Ten plagues, Kriyat so Sof Sinai—that can't be the it. So somebody mentioned something else. What else could they be stubborn? What does it mean they're stubborn? They can't stop. Mm, they can't stop. They can't stop. What do they do all the time in the desert? It drives Moshe nuts. They can't stop complaining. They can't stop complaining, right? That would be the second possibility. Maybe it's because they can't stop mm-hmm. complaining. But that also doesn't make sense. And I'll give you a couple of examples, okay? If you look at the end of Kriyas Yamsuf in Perak Yudalid, right? Pasuk Lamed Aleph. Uh, no, Pasuk Yud Aleph. Right? What does the Pasuk say? Vayom um, Ureel Moshe Hamibli Inkvar right? You, 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 you took us out of Egypt. There are not enough graves in Egypt. You took us out to die in the desert. That sounds pretty much like complaining to me. And this is after 10 plagues. And they get them. Kosh takes them out of Egypt. And they still are complaining. Why doesn't it say there that they're an Am Right? If you look in... Um, after Kriya Shamsef Okay? Uh... They get to Mara, Paratetvav, Right? 1524. And what does it say? Um they complain. What are we gonna drink? And of course, the best example is the end of Bishala. They get to a place called Rifidim. And what happens to Rifidim? They don't have any water. Right? Why did you take us out of Egypt to kill us? They can't stop complaining. All through B'Shalach. So why are we only saying that they're stubborn about complaining when we get to Chit Ego? Makes no sense. Alright? So let me ask you a few questions. And then we'll see if we can put this together. Okay? So, B'nai Yisrael complained to Moshe and Aaron that Moshe and Aaron took them out to die in the desert. Now, I'm going to read this, Pasuk. You tell me what's missing, okay? You tell me what's missing. Herak Yudaled, Pasuk Yudaleth. Vayomruel Moshe, They say to Moshe, what, there aren't enough graves in the desert? Mazot asita What did you do to us to take us out of Egypt? What's missing here? You're not sure? I'll give you another example. Look in... Um by the man in Paraket Zion uh Bet. Okay? They're hungry. Okay, they're hungry. Um So they start complaining to Moshe and Aaron. So Would that we could die in in Hashem yada shen we had plenty of bread there. That you took us out to this desert. What's missing? Yeah. Why are they complaining about Moshe Ha'aran? Why don't they complaining about Hashem? Why don't they say, why did God take us out into the desert? It doesn't make any sense. Right? They're, they're constantly complaining, but they're not complaining to God. So that's the second question. The first question is why is Amksheiraf here? Why are they now stubborn? What are they being stubborn about? Second question is how come they're only complaining to Moshe and Aaron and they're not complaining about God or to God who did this? You know, the Holocaust comes. You don't spend a lot of time complaining to Roosevelt. You ask a Kosh how could this happen? Right? Third question. Okay? Burning bush. And Hashem tells Moshe, you're going to go to Egypt, okay, and, and you're going to free them. And when you get there, when you get to Egypt, here's what you're going to tell them. Peragimel Pasach Ded Kotomaril Israel. Hashem, um, the God of Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, right? Lech Go and gather the elders of Israel. Right? There, was, there was a leadership to the Jewish people. They're called the Zkenim. The elders. This is the foundation for what will later be a Sanhedrin. And tell them, these in the leaders, Go tell them, I, God, have remembered you. Now, right? And I will take you up. I remember you and I will take you up to the land of Israel. Okay? Now why is this language so important? Anybody remember? Nope. but close. <coughs> Yosef. End of Parshat Vayechi. What does Yosef say to them? Right? Yosef says at the end of Vayechi, I apologize. Vayom Yosef Alechat. This is the last verses of Sefer B'Rishit. I'm going to die. But God will remember you. he will bring you back up out of his land. When that happens, you take my bones out. So this language of... Now listen. Yosef is not that long ago. In fact, according to Rashi, it's four generations. It's not that long ago. And Yosef has this line that he says to the brothers, right... There will come a time when Hashem will say, I remember you, and it's time to go home. So Hashem tells Moshe, go and tell them this Kenim, I remember you. This Kenim has to know this prophecy. If we know this prophecy, this Kenim then knew the prophecy. They're going to hear the magic code word. Right? Time to go home to Eretz Yisrael. Okay. But here's something interesting. When they actually go to Bene Yisrael, Right? Perak Dalid, Persakulamad right? Aaron and Moshe, but really Moshe, goes down to Egypt. They meet the Jewish people. I'm gonna leave out how exactly they communicate to the Jewish people. It's an interesting question. Right? So Aaron does the miracles, the snake and the staff, and whatever else is going on. And the people believe, this is before things get difficult. They remember, the Hashem remembers their suffering. What's missing here? What's the most important part of the message that Moshe is coming to tell them? Pardon? Which words? No, they say, same language. What's missing here? I'll give you a hint. Borough Park, Crown Heights, Satmar, Nobody gets the hint? I'll read it again. Okay? Pardon? Yeah. They should have believed that Hashem remembers them and that they're going to go home. They don't say this. They don't mention her to Israel. It's not part of their mudout. Right? So, in fact, by the way, Hashem says... We're just going to take them for three days in the desert. We talked about that once. Remember, there's this whole game going on. Hashem, Hashem doesn't. Moshe doesn't say now we're going back there to Israel, even though Hashem tells Moshe to tell them we're going back there to Israel. They don't do that. Why not? There's no mention of Eretz Kanaan. I'll Give you an even better example. There's another question. So now we have three questions. Why is Amkshayoruf that there are stubborn people here by Chetah Engel? Why didn't they say it before? If it's about emunah, they already believe. And if it's about that they're being stubborn, they were already stubborn. Why is it here? Number one. Number two, right? Why do um, um, why do they complain to Moshe and Aram and not complain about Hashem? They're not talking to Hashem. Number three, why don't, when they tell the Skanim, why, why are, uh, is Moshe told, Moshe telling them, or Hashem tells Moshe at the burning bush, I'm gonna. Re- I remember them, and I'm gonna bring them home to Eretz Canaan, but they don't mention this when they get to Egypt, and the Jews don't speak about it, right? Number four. Listen to this question. The same sort of story where they're getting the man. Design Right? What does it say? Um, right. The Jewish people are hungry, and Moshe Rabbeinu says, "Don't worry." Because tonight, what am I going to do? What's Hashem going to do? How? What's going to happen? They're hungry. They want bread. What are they going to get? on! Uh-huh. Ma- no, no, no. Listen to this. <inaudible> tonight, after the man falls, you're going to know Hashem took you out of Egypt. Oh, come on. This question is so obvious. That's a ridiculous Pesach. Where are they now? They're in Midbar Sin. They're out of Egypt. This is after the splitting of the sea. Why only now are they going to know that Hashem took them out of Egypt? That's just a strange Pasuk. Right? And lastly, how long were the Jewish people in Mitzrayim? Perak Yudbet. This is a very important Pasuk. Perak Yudbet. Pasuk Mem. This is sort of in Parshat Bo. In the lead up to the actual exodus from Egypt, as they're in the midst of preparing for Carbon Pesach and the matzahs and everything else, listen to this passage. The Jewish people were in Egypt for thirty and 4, 430 years. Now that's an interesting problem. How long were the Jews actually in Egypt? Am I now? 210 years. And that by the way is not some medrash That's pshat You look at how long, how, how old Yosef was When he stood before Paro You look how old Levi was when he died You, look, you can figure out right, How many years they were in Egypt It says that Yosef was 30 years old When he stood before Paro He was 17 when he went down to Egypt You start adding how old was Yosef when he died How old was Levi when he died You start to add all these things up And you figure out that they were in Egypt For 430 years uh, For 210 years so, why does the Torah tell me they were there for 430 years? What is the number 400 years we need to remind you of? Pardon? The Brit, the Brit Ben Avtarim. In the Brit Ben Avtarim, in the covenant, in Breshi in uh Tet Vav, right? So Hashem tells Avram Avinu, Vayom teda, You should know, Ki Your children, your offspring, <laughs> will be strangers in a land that isn't theirs. The Inuotam. And they will be caused to suffer. Arba Ochana, 400 years. So there's two questions here. One is, anybody notice the mathematical problem here? Pardon? Pardon? Yeah, where are those extra 30 years? How come 400 years in Pripyat of Tarin and 430 years mentioned in Egypt? And how come we know, now Rashi makes this clear, Rashi says,, right are There were four hundred years from the time Yitzchak was born until now when they're about to get out of Egypt, right? And he says, you can't say that they were in Mitzrayim for four hundred years. Sha Kahat. Right, Kahat, right, Gershon, Kahat, and Marie, the sons of Levi, was one of the uh, boys who went down to Egypt with Yaakov. If you add up his entire lifetime, the Koshnot Amram, his son, and you add up the entire life, because the Torah tells us how long these people lived. Right, Ushmonim Shel the eighty years that Moshe was eighty years old when he came down to Egypt. Right, you won't get the four hundred years. So it can't be that there are 430 years in Egypt. So it must be that it comes from an earlier time. So Rashi says 400 years, and this is Chazal, it's a matter 400 years mm. is from the time that Yitzchak was born. What's 430 years? 430 years is in the time of Brik Ben-Aphtarim. It's an interesting question why that's added. Why is this important? Why is the Torah telling you this? So, what's really going on here? What are Ben Israel stubborn about? Um, And again, this is not my idea. Fascinating idea. Why did B'nai Yisrael leave out knowing that Hashem will take them home to Egypt, to to, to Eretz Yisrael? Right? What if B'nai Yisrael don't actually think that they're supposed to go to Eretz Yisrael? What if they think that the Nevuah says that they're supposed to be in Egypt for 400 years, they're Supposed to be in Egypt 400 years. Now we know now with hindsight that the Medrash and Chazal that the 400 years are counted from the time of Yitzchak or Avram, but they don't know that. They just know they're supposed to be in Egypt 400 years. So they still think that they have another 190 years to go. And if they have 190 years to go, then who says they're allowed to go up there at Israel? Here's an interesting question based on the Medrash what would make them nervous? about going up to Eretz before it's time to go. Should I give you a hint? Yeah? A-frying. Excellent. a Erephraim. Now, what is the story <laughs> of the Shev Erephraim? This is a freaky story, okay? All right? This is a freaky story. And uh, the mucker for this is in the Medrash Rabbah. The source of this is in the Medrash Rabbah. And there are allusions to this in the Pasuk, but it's late. I'm just going to give you the basic story. Uh, Hashem doesn't take us by way of the Pelishnim. Now we just said Pshat. We just said, you know, if they go by the way of the Philistines, they're gonna have a war, they're gonna fight, whatever. No. The Medr says something else. The tribe of Ephraim made a terrible mistake. They left Egypt before it was time to go. And all the other tribes said you're making a mistake, it's not time to go. But they insisted on going. 300,000 of them or 30,000. <laughs> and 300,000, right? 30, ten thousands of them were killed. <laughs> and why were they killed? <laughs> because they thought that the years began when Avram made the covenant of the Brit Ben-Abtarim, right? With Hashem, the, the Brit, the covenant that the Jewish people will never be destroyed. So here it's 400 years. It says 400 years. Right? And they were off by 30 years. Right? And, and it gives proofs for this. And, and the Philistines came out. And there's a description in the medars exactly what happened there and the mistake that they made. It's a, it's, a, it's a painful story. Because even though it's way back in history, you're reading this story, and if it's Pshat, 300,000 Jews are murdered by the Philistines on the outskirts of Gaza in the city of Gath. Goth, right? And the Sefer Ayashar describes this story. Now why, if in fact the 400 years is counted from the birth of Yitzchak, then why does it say here 430 years? Because 430 years is from the time of the Brit ben So which is it? Wait, wouldn't that make so, 70? Pardon? Wouldn't that make Abraham 70? Let's not get into the mathematics. You can come over me afterwards, okay? It's late, right? Okay? Right? If 430 years earlier was B'rit Ben tarim and 400 years is the birth of Yitzhak, and the B'rit Ben tarim says you're supposed to be in Egypt 400 years, and the Bnei Ephraim thought that it would be from the B'rit Ben tarim so that would be 400 years, they'd be ready to go. But really, it's 400 years in the birth of Yitzhak. So why the extra 30 years? Why does the Torah tell us the 30 years? Because Yosef was 30 when he stood before Pharaoh. And because of what we did, because of what the brothers did to Yosef, because of that debacle, the Jewish people deserved a little more struggle. And that's the number 30 that's alluded to. That's what the Medrash says, and that's what Abednego Tam and the Sefer says. Okay, right? So what's going on here, right? So... What if What if B'nai Yisrael understood That there's a tradition And a prophecy That they're supposed to stay for 400 years Comes along Moshe Rabbeinu and says It's time to go And they don't want to go Because they think Emunah right? Emunah is all about the fact that we have to wait Until the prophecy is fulfilled Maybe this is Moshe's idea In fact there's a Ramban that says that the people were afraid that Moshe wanted to take them into the desert so he could rule over them. He was a prince. He left them in the lurch, right? But B'neisha and Moshe Moshe's trying to explain to them, no, no, no. Hashem wants you to go out. This is from Hashem. Hashem wants you to leave Egypt. He wants to take us home. But they can't hear it. Why can't they hear it? Hashem almost plans it that they're not ready to hear it. Right? When Moshe and Aaron go to Paro, this is name, and you can look this up, they disappear. They don't go with it. Maybe that's because the mission to go to Eretz Israel, that's Moshe and this The Zakenim have not bought into that. Right? They disappear. Maybe they don't believe that this uh, mission is what. Maybe they think we should be going back to the base manners. You know, I met a. Um, I was uh, giving a shear once in one of these Pesach programs. And I happened to quote the Minchas Allazer. Minchas Allazer was the Rebbe of Munkach. Tremendous uh, Sfarim in Torah, or whatever. Uh, he was vehemently anti Zionist. Uh, but, you know, Torah is Torah. And, um, and I was giving Shir. And a fellow came over to me and he said, I loved Shir until you quoted the Minchas Lazar. He says, You shouldn't be quoting Minchas Alezer. I said, Why not? He says, I was from Mungach. <clears throat> and I was a from Yid. And my family was from. And I got an offer to have a job. I was 20 years old and there was a job waiting for me in America. <laughs> but, you know, we were in Munkach So we went to the Rebbe to ask his rishos. And the Rebbe said, you shouldn't go to America. It's a tray for Medina. It won't be good for you. You should stay in Munkach because this is the center of Torah. So my whole family stayed in Munkach. I could have gotten everybody out. And by the time everybody realized what a mistake this was, it was too late. So the Munkach Rebbe, he killed my family. Now, I'm not debating whether that is MS or how you look at that. That's a complicated question, right? We're not ready to go. Theodore Herzl comes and says, I'm a Navi, it's time to go home. They don't want to listen. Jabotinsky comes. Jabotinsky was known in the secular world as the Navi. Why? Because in the 1930s, he went all over Poland, desperately trying to get Jews to listen. He said, there's a storm coming and you don't understand this storm is going to be a storm the likes of which we have never seen. It's straight out of the Ramban in The the the, um, the Meshachachma in his introduction to the Klolos of Bichukosai says that and the Meshachachma lived in the nineteen twenties at the same time as the Or Samech in 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 Mayor Simcha of in Dvinsk. And he said, there's a storm coming to the Jewish people. It is a storm the likes of which you have never seen. And when it's over, the Jewish exile will be destroyed. There will only be one place to go. They couldn't listen. They couldn't listen. And the people said, if Hashem wanted to take us out, He'd take us out Himself. We're waiting for a Kodesh to take us home. This isn't the time yet. Lo aleinu echem ki al Hashem. Says Moshe Rabbeinu. And that's why Moshe says, now you'll know that Hashem is taking us home. Because they don't believe a Baruch wants this. Do we choose to see Yad Hashem? Do we get that the scenario has changed? Why is this here? Because now, up until now, it wasn't clear. (coughs) And, And Hashem does this for a reason. Because there's no value if Hashem forces us, overwhelms us so that we leave Egypt. The question is, can we choose to leave Egypt? Can we leave it behind? b'Mitzrayim they, they, they look back with hindsight and it just always looks better back there. We should stay. You have to choose to leave. Why were they so stubborn, even in Ar-Sinai? Because the promise was after 400 years. Right? So why does the Torah tell us this, right? Clearly, Bnei Yisrael think that they're not ready for Gula, right? Avram is told that Eretz Israel belongs to us. Yitzchak is told, t'shchen, t'shchen "You're going to live in the land of Israel." Yaakov is, is, is at the end of his life for Shavti in Beit El. He says, el "He wants to go home to Eretz Yisrael, right." Now, says to him, he promises him, I will give this land to you. Yaakov wants to be buried in Eretz Canaan. Yosef wants to be buried in Eretz But B'nai Yisrael felt that Moshe Rabbeinu was, was contradicting the Nevuah. And you know what the most amazing thing is? This is unbelievable. They bury Yaakov in Eretz Canaan. right? In Breshit, in Perak Nun. They all come up. They come back to Eretz Yisrael. Yosef and his brothers, everybody. Right? And they get up there to show sorry. And then it says a uh, second. So the entire house of Yosef, his brothers, everybody, they all go up to Eretz Kanan to bury Yaakov. But they leave behind their children, their flocks. They leave behind in Eretz Goshem. Which means they don't plan on going home. And they, they mourn their father. And then, They bury him in Eretz Canaan. And then, They go back to Egypt. The jaws of Egypt are closing on them and they don't even see it. They go back. It doesn't occur to them. You know? So, what's our mission as a Jewish people? Our mission is to create a model society. To create a society that that the world can learn from us how a society is supposed to behave, how an army is supposed to be, how a political entity is supposed to be. And we're not there yet. But we're closer than we've ever been because we're here. We can build a model society but well, we can't do it on our own. If half of Klai is all spread out over the world, it's not what it should be. And it's interesting. I wonder, and I don't have an answer to this, and I was not able to find anybody who talks about this. Did the Avos think that Gerim Be'aretz Lo Lahem was Egypt? Or did they think we're supposed to be strangers in this land until it's time, until we're ready, until Hashem is ready to give the land to us? Who says they ever were meant to leave Eretz Yisrael? They were supposed to be home. Yitzchak is told never to leave Eretz Yisrael. And then what happens? The debacle of Yosef. If you're trying to create a model society, you could sell your brother as a slave, something needs to change. So they all go down to Egypt, where they learn what it is to be a stranger, where they learn what it is to be empathetic, where they learn what's missing in society, so that they can come back and rebuild it. Pneusel felt Moshe Rabbeinu was missing the plot. Really? Pneusel was missing the plot. And that's the ultimate question here. Are we stuck in the way we see the world? Are we an Amkshe Oref? Are we a people who's so stuck in the way we see the world that we can't look at it from a different perspective? There were three and a half million Jews in Poland, there was a country that was waiting for them. They just couldn't change the way they looked at it. And we look back at that, and we just can't understand it. Except that now, it's happening all over again. Let me tell you something. Maybe you saw this in the news. There was a, um, a speaker who came to speak yesterday in Berkeley. Big university, right? In the Hillel in Berkeley. And um, it, it was a fellow, I forget his name. He was a past soldier in the IDAP. He's a, a lecturer, a speaker. They had an event, and a few hundred Jewish students came. Big deal. And uh, a very large rally of pro-Palestinians, all screaming from the river to the sea, etc. Okay? And um, uh, they were th- the Jewish students were threatened. They were assaulted. They were prevented from attending a speech by a Jewish speaker on campus. The campus police had to shut down the event when it became clear that they could not protect the students. And multiple students reported being spat on, screamed at, called derogatory names like Dirty Jew or You Jew, and physically assaulted by protesters. This is on a major university campus in America. If you would have told me a year ago that there could be pogroms against Jews in America, or would at looked you like you're out of your mind. It's not so crazy anymore. So that's an interesting question. What's the red line? What would it take for the Jewish community to realize it's time to go home? Home is not Berkeley. It's not Teaneck. It's not Florida. This is home. Now, again, I'm not judging the individual. And I'm not talking about everybody has to, but to struggle with this question. Do, 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 are we stuck in something that we need to get out of? You know, who do we want to be? Jabotinsky or the Rebbe of Munkach? And with all great respects for the Munkach Rebbe and all of his Torah, One of the things the Holocaust taught us was, G'dolay Torah can make mistakes. We should have learned this from the Torah, because Moshe Rabbeinu makes mistakes. We didn't. Is this the generation where we're going to finally figure that out? You know who gets to decide that question? You do. That is the question of your generation. Where do we belong? Where is home? What do we do about this? This is a question. And this question is becoming more and more acute, and every time the Jewish people don't get it, Akash Baruch Hu says, okay, I'm going to tighten it a little more. Pay attention to what's going on in the world. That's the question. right? The Cheta Egel is, is a people that is at the foot of Farsina and they don't get where they are. They don't understand that somebody moved the cheese. That's the challenge of Kitisa. Hashem should bless us that our necks get free and we see the world the way Hashem wants us to see the world everybody has to struggle with that question and figure out what the answers to those questions are. Uh, If you're curious to hear a little more, we can talk about this at the Q&A. I wish everybody an awesome job we're going to bench now.